0: The title of the talk today is Unstruck Song. One of my favorite images from Indian spirituality is, we could call it the Unstruck Song. It's usually called an unstruck drum, an unstruck sound, as if a sound is coming from a drum without having been hit the drum having been hit. And so I spoke yesterday about a metaphor of ringing a bell as our practice and trying to recover our love of the subtle so that we could leave behind the tendency to hold on to what's graspable and lose the point of our life and our practice. <clears throat> And so just the fact that there's a phrase in the Indian languages about the unstruck sound or unstruck song reminds us that as human beings, we may have a love for a song that we can't hear with our ears, for a sound or a song that we can feel now in the room more often by being in silence sometimes by singing together and occasionally in interaction in the japanese art of jinshin jutsu that we mentioned yesterday where it's just hold a finger Everyone's already doing their jin shin without realizing, holding your ankle, your knee, wherever we touch. There's the potential that that touch can remind us of harmony, can remind us of an unstruck song, a song that's going on in the background of harmony, and in. Jin Shin Jitsu. so human being is Jin and Shin would be God or spirit or heart. And Jutsu, we could talk about it as improvisation today or tricks. The art of being ourselves and greater, as in the poem yesterday. <clears throat> Something not different from us and greater. That we would be guided by. <clears throat> So in Jinshin Jutsu, there is talk of the human being having the work, having the job of letting go. Letting go of what's old, what's unnecessary, what's extra. So our job is not to create happiness or harmony, but our job is to let go of what's extra. And then there is receptivity to what is needed. There is receptivity to the nourishment we crave. There's receptivity to our true nature or our deep song. Our practicing of our true nature has two main stages. So practicing letting go so that our true nature can be heard. Usually has two main stages. Because at first, we don't know how to let go. So in trying to let go, we add instead of letting go. But we must start somewhere. And again and again, we must start somewhere. Just as when we think we're expert, (laughs) we find ourselves starting again and fumbling. Losing track of the unstruck sound, losing track of the deep song of our life. Losing track of that underlying love of the subtle, of the relief of letting go of the habit energy of thinking, the habit energies of emotion. that habit energies of role and wanting to be special. Wanting recognition. So usually at first, as we try to let go, we try to do our human job of letting go. Letting go of whatever is graspable, letting it go. And at first, we usually copy what we think relief would look like, what we think empty-handedness would be like. So there's a mix of occasionally, accidentally letting go, and mostly imitating our image of what a let-go might have felt like last time. And sometimes it happens that that's so exhausting that then we allow letting go to happen. Other times it happens that it's so funny that we allow letting go to happen. Other times our ear for the unstruck sound starts to grow somehow amidst the noise of all that we're holding on to. and in sputters and starts we kind of land in that surf. So there's a kind of struggle between trying to do our job as human beings of letting go, of living free and undisturbed. No matter what excuses we have had, for being disturbed, and we all have good excuses. If we can accept in a very humble way that there is struggle, that we don't have to be involved in, as we start to get to know how to hear and then listen to and then live by that deep song so we play with the practices of receiving sounds which here thankfully have been mostly creature sounds insects frogs children and there's that occasional motor again and sometimes in that receiving the sounds. There's the struggle between my usual path of relating to the image of what I think I'm hearing and then just receiving the sound. And then there would be a struggle between receiving the sound and receiving something that's not the sound that's happening just by being receptive. So we could call it silence, we could call it a deep song, if we can allow that natural struggle to happen. Not trying to be a spiritual hero. I was going to say not trying to be a spiritual hero too soon, (laughs) but I think we could just leave it at not trying to be a spiritual hero. And in Spanish, they would say, y punto, like, and that's the end of the sentence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's a way that I think, culturally, we're losing track of the possibility to be in struggle without resorting to meanness. That when struggle is happening, it seems to be Such an insult that it's intolerable. And I'm very happy to have come across, to have stumbled upon this book that I brought out the first night of the retreat and another poem that I'm not going to read. It's way too long pages. And also it's a poem that's really just telling a story or setting a scene about Denise Levertov's home and what she could see from her home in New York 40 or 50 years ago and what she can't see from her home now. And I find this to be a daring piece of poetry partly because it's just telling a story. It's not short. It's not that like pithy, poetic, aesthetic. It's spreading out on the page just like what she's describing, which is a wholesale produce market that used to happen in an empty space across from her home. She lived on the fifth floor She could look down and see the tents and the mountains of oranges and carrots and and also the people hanging around hoping for a little work and the people who clearly had no home who were happy to have a little work or catch a fallen potato. And at the end of the day, when what she calls the whole commercial neighborhood, so that whole daytime produce market had vanished for the night when it was deserted. These men, because she mentions that they were all men, half black and half white, would build fires in old metal barrels and sit around them on upturned crates so the wooden boxes that used to have food in them they'd use as a bench. And they'd roast these fallen potatoes. This was when the war in Vietnam was just starting. So she says the war was, in parentheses remotely, gearing up. Vietnam, a still unfamiliar name. And she says you couldn't call it a golden age. And yet, around those fires, those roasting potatoes, you could see, even from our top story windows, something, you name it if you know, I can't. Something you might call blessed, with a question mark. Is that hyperbole? Something kind, something not to be found in the 90s anyway, something it seems will have to enter the next millennium lacking, and for the young, unknown to memory. I love that she dares to mention it because even to mention it is like walking on a minefield. To be up in your comfortable fifth story window looking down on people without a home and projecting apparently onto them something happy and nice is not correct. But I also agree with her That there was something that could happen, even in poverty, that's very difficult to happen now in in this place. And this place where we live, I don't know if Canada is so different from the United States, is partly a reflection of what we have as possible inside. The possibility that we could be having a difficult time and that's all. And we might find a potato and we might roast it with others who are also, as she says, down on their luck. This was the first thing that surprised me in India In terms of a real important surprise, there were many things that surprised me the first days, like people chewing this red stuff. I thought they were all losing their teeth, Mm -hmm. but it's their addiction, (laughs) like smoking. Chewing betel nut. To see people who seem to have what we would call nothing, they wouldn't call it nothing. They seem to have so little that we would call it nothing, and they were smiling and playing with what they found. And it's not that we would wish that on anyone. It's not that they would wish that for themselves. And there was happiness. And I dare say it's a happiness that we hardly have the courage to know in the midst of plenty, much less when our luck is down. And I think it has something to do with our need, our spiritual need to recover our love of not having. To recover our love of not needing to have. That we don't need to have it, even if we have it. That having it and not having it means nothing. doesn't mean we're doing well or badly. Why is this such an important, and why do I call it spiritual, and why do I call it need? Why is this such an important spiritual need? Not just in that progression of our practice from more literal and ritualistic, ringing the bell or doing the technique of concentrating the mind, and then stepping off of that technique To the next more subtle one. Stepping off of that to the next more subtle one. Stepping off of the crutch of morality and fairness to something better than fair, better than just, better than moral, better than ethical. To dare to say that knowing that it's risky, that it doesn't just imply risk, it is risky. And this might end up being one of the main helps in our recovery, is that it actually gives us the place for our love of danger and gambling, of risk. Why bother with the superficial risk? it's not actually really a risk. It's just a pain in daily life. If we gamble all our money and lose it, go look for some potatoes. Luckily for me, personally, I have never had an interest in achieving meditation through drugs. And also, luckily for me, I am very close with a few people who who have had that as their way. Not lucky for them, but lucky for me that I know them. Some of my closest friends have been addicted to heroin. And they talk about what it was, what the addiction was. And there apparently, at least in some heroin circles, is something called non-ing, non-ing, like non, not, no, nothing. when it goes well, I guess. That that's the, the draw. Our deep spiritual need that we're not living when we're not living it. We're not living without it. We're in that survival meanness without it, our deep, central, spiritual priority. Can understand why someone would spend all their money and take something to none. Risk their life to none even if clearly from the outside it doesn't actually work. It could somehow inspire us to not stick with the graspable of anything, including silence. Even if as we're here in this place of silence where people practice silence so that our silence has been resonating with their silence from the very first afternoon in a way that has brought transformation. Let's not stick to anything graspable about silence even something so ungraspable as silence. And let's let out all those cats from the bag, the cats that want to gamble, the cats that come out at night. Skillfully helping them find the way to join us in our real calling. And I love the call and response singing that has come in many cultures. And I love to feel how our calling as humans to let go of whatever we could hold on to, so that's whatever we could hold on to to let go of it. Not buying into the meanness that thinks, because it's valuable I should hold, or because I have so little I've got to keep this. Our calling as humans, the possibility that we have, the capacity to let go that we have, is a call, just like we breathe out, and that calls for an inhale. It calls for inhale, receive, just what you need. And in that, the beautiful sense of just what you need, exactly what you need, only what you need. We don't need to be busy receiving what we don't need right now, going to 10 workshops, just in case. To love that moment of having let go of. In the book, the I Ching, in the English translation that I know of it. There's an image about human life. That there could be a place high on a hill that could be seen from far away. So there could be communication to far. And what happens on the hill will also have an effect. It will be seen and have an effect far away. And it's a place where we could also pause and see our lives, see where we are collectively, so as Denise Levertov sees us. and seeing our, our own lives as someone who wants the best for us would see our own lives. And that place called The View is also about a ceremony where first there's a cleansing which would be like letting go what's not needed. And then there's a second ceremony where there's an offering. And the English translation of the description of this image says that the moment between the cleansing and the offering is the most sacred. It would be for us in our moment-to-moment experience, the moment after we've breathed out, before we've breathed in, When we seem to be most dispersed, when we seem to be least, could be the moment that is most sacred, the moment where, in other words, we're most closely in touch with that unstruck song. And do we know that we are a transmission, we transmit? How we live is a call, it's a calling and a call. It calls for others who might resonate with that to resonate with that. The men around the fire calling Denise five stories up to resonate with a fire and food and stories. And being together without apparent hostility. And no reason to cover up any hostility that might be there. Do we know our power when we are at our simplest, resonating so simply with what's most important? not standing out and proclaiming, but humbly and bumbling into something that can honestly, validly replace moral code Something that could move us into and through what is painful, seemingly beyond bearing. What could move us into and through what is bright and expansive, almost beyond bearing. Without our fascination for those two polar poles, those two seeming duality thought our fascination causing any slight hesitation. What could move us through what needs to be moved through? Without any requirement for recognition of our movement without any demand for confirmation that I'm right to do it because it's so hard or it's so great. And with the awe for how sometimes what should have been so much harder has ease in it and what should have been so beautiful is nearly unbearable. Confirmation does come and is needed sometimes, but our hunger, our motivation of getting recognition is what we can let go of. Right now, that's what mostly is our transmission. That's mostly what we're calling forth is need for recognition. And in the moments that we drop the need for recognition and let something else move through. It sounds simple to say let's give up the strong code of right and wrong and let's give up the loyalty to that code of right and wrong and let's be moved somehow else." It sounds simple and not important enough to bother, but try it. I'd like to read at least part of another poem by Wendell Berry. who moved back to his home ground of Kentucky to farm and write poetry. This poem is called The Silence. And I may read it in parts, let's see. The Silence. Though the air is full of singing, my head is loud with the labor of words. So he's talking about this unstruck deep song that can come through in an air full of singing. When we allow that unstruck song, which in India is felt in the heart, the vibration of the heart. We could even feel that silence in a head loud with the labor of words, just to be clear. But in the poem, though the air is full of singing, my head is loud with the labor of words. Though the season is rich, with fruit, my tongue hungers for the sweet of speech. Though the beach tree, beech tree, B E E C H, though the beech, it could be the other beech, is golden, though the beech is golden, I cannot stand beside it mute, but must say, it is golden. While the leaves stir and fall with a sound that is not a name. I cannot stand beside it, mute, but must say, it is golden. While the leaves stir and fall with a sound that is not a name. Let's come back to the poem, the end of the poem, later. I love in this poem the sense of the unstoppability of the unstruck song coming through in sound and in silence, even if we're busy saying how things are (laughs) and not letting them express themselves. They express themselves. So there's still happens to be this chance of resonating more deeply with a lower or a higher octave from what our mind is busy with or what our conditioned, reactive, emotional heart is busy with. we could hear that call and allow our human response in any situation. And human beings have in any situation. So we don't need to let any situation be our excuse not to hear it. We don't need to be dismissive of the excuses that come the reasons we hold back, the reasons we're hesitant. The reasons we continually decide we want recognition first. We need to prove ourselves as special first and then we'll let things be. But it's different to know that something's acting as an excuse, this painful thing that happened this way that I'm not good enough, this way that I'm too good, too spiritual for this world. If we could hear the song in the excuse, but not accept it as an excuse. Already hearing the song in the excuse is not accepting it as an excuse. And it allows <clears throat> what we called yesterday that thread of love that could draw our heart into the depth. No matter what kind of accidents are happening no matter what kind of seeming duality is going on. If our work as human beings is to relieve our being from what we're holding to that we don't need, Then our role, when we do our work, our role is to know ourselves as a kind of host for this life. Isn't that something of what's happening in the image of the man around the fire? The fullness of what seemed to be happening around the fire with the potatoes. hosting each other with whatever we have. And not holding back from that it's difficult to serve in that way. To serve in that way that's not demeaning, it's not a meanness, and it's not counting what you give. Even if your mind gets busy with counting what you've given and what you can't give more, but still that movement that comes through that gives anyway. There's another moment described in the I Ching Book of Changes that can help us when we don't know what to do with ourselves. All of our sensitivity, The heart that seems to be too sensitive for this place. And all the power that is at our disposal, inner and outer. We clearly don't know what to do with it. And we have reason to be afraid of having power because the role models of power aren't looking so helpful aren't looking so pretty. And doesn't that mean that it's time for a new role model? Haven't we done that already? (laughs) In the I Ching, it talks about the only way for power to help. So the only way to go into that gamble of leaving the crutches of morality and ritual, and holding on to the externals, the graspable, and giving in to our true love of the ungraspable as our medicine and our food and our water and our air. Clothing, shelter, friendship. According to the I Ching, the only way for power to help is in the mode where we are a ruler who serves. To think of being a ruler already might make us feel stiff, too responsible, authoritarian, ready to be served. Imagining what a good boss will be how kind we'll be to our servants. And then the letdown that to rule is to serve. That when we give from whatever we have as an act of abundance, happens multi-dimensionally, not only in the one potato going from one hand to another. So we've noticed about ourselves our own person and other persons. That sometimes morality, having like a sense of what's right and wrong, an idea, a structure of what's right and wrong, what's okay, what's not okay, sometimes that's necessary in an emergency, can be necessary. But if that's all we can lean on, we could look around and look inside and know it doesn't work. We don't remember what the rules are. We don't remember to follow them. If we have to use our mind to go to the rule book and then try to get our being in alignment with that, there's too many steps to happen in the flow of life. But what could be steady enough to stay? Ruthlessly honest, sustainably honest, sustainably aligned with an alive sense of what is appropriate now and what isn't. And sometimes that will be by the practice of intuition, shall I go left or right? Shall I speak to the person or not? Shall I meditate now or later? And that's a good practice, but we could also sometimes step off of even that practice. Even that structure. To a direct alignment that we can recognize in the feeling of it. We recognize the feeling because we're humble and there's power. And the mind is disobedient. The mind comes with good ideas. It goes against its usual training. Let's go back to the poem. It is in the silence that my hope is and my aim. A song whose lines I cannot make or sing. The door just opened by itself and then the baby woke up. (laughs) Started to sing. A song whose lines I cannot make or sing sounds people's silence like a root. Let me say and not mourn when someone dies. Let me say and not mourn. The world lives in the death of speech and sings there. Though the season is rich with fruit, my tongue hungers for the sweet of speech. Though the beach is golden, I cannot stand beside it, mute, but must say it is golden while the leaves stir and fall with a sound that is not a name. Can we develop our power to feel each other's and our own root of silence or deep song, the way that something expresses from us, something comes off of us, especially when we're not looking, especially when we're not speaking but it can come off of us even when we are. So not sticking to the literal silence that the poet is as if calling for. As a poet, he's not really calling for silence. Does anyone have a question or something to add? to investigate by remembering moments that you were moved, not with the motivation of getting it right, not with the motivation of the right wrong, not with the motivation of getting recognition or specialness. You moved before that whole machine could turn on and spit out some response for a reaction. And if we could really get the feeling of that, like a leopard springing, or like the lake staying still. The lightness and the power. And the patience. Glad patience, not like, drumming the fingers, patience, like the lake is happy, well, maybe our projection, but there's a freshness about the lake being there. Sometimes still, sometimes moving. The light-heartedness. And sometimes it's good to actively investigate, like go hunting for these memories, and many times it's not. Many times it's more to offer our own sensitivity, receptivity to remember in the moment that it comes. Oh yeah. A memory of what happened and the quality of it so that we can be more sensitive to that quality and more responsive to it the leopard, the lake. The kind of two layers, the words and the silence. This song and the deep song. Allowing our sensitivity to spread out with a kind of authority, like a ruler, and allowing our sensitivity to be how we receive news, how we receive call, and how we allow response. And the gladness of it, the lightheartedness of it, is what makes that power bearable and that humility and tenderness bearable. Otherwise, the trick is, it is unbearable, and we turn away, and we become tricky and mean. So let's enjoy the silence for a few minutes together. comfortably, as if at home, at home on the earth, happy to be here. even without any cards in our hands. Hosting this celebration. To serve this table. To be part of this song. Thank you for listening. And if you've come to visit and you have time and you'd like to stay another half an hour in the silence here in the hall, feel free.